Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Carl Wonders. And this week we are talking about Tomorrow Never Dies. Or is it Tomorrow Never Lies? That was a cooler title. Yeah, I think it works better for the movie. Well, the idea being that his paper was called Tomorrow and it never... Yeah, I mean, it works really well, but mm-hmm. they didn't want to do that, so... I mean, Tomorrow Never Dies is a perfectly adequate generic Bond yeah. title. Mm-hmm. And it goes with a perfectly adequate generic Bond film, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is certainly not the worst Pierce Brosnan film we get. No. It's nowhere near the best. I think it's just kind of there. It's It fits the perfect definition of fine. It's, it's fine. So, apparently, some of the titles they considered for this were Shame Lady. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Avatar. Shatterhand. And Zero Wind Chill. Interesting. So Shatterhand is a name that Blofeld takes up in the novel of uh, You Only Live Twice. Right. So that would be an interesting thing that they use. But I don't know where any of those other things come from. (laughs) I am very confused by Zero Wind Chill. Like, what is that even supposed to mean? Like, I understand the concept that there's no wind chill, but what? why is that a movie title? (laughs) And shame I feel lady. Like that's a movie All that the rock one would word, be in. no less. Not to shame. <laughs> what? So, who is shame lady in the story? I have no idea, but it's. I guess it's still better than octopusy. True. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe. So we open in this movie at a terrorist arms bazaar. Yes, we do. Which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, isn't a bazaar supposed to be enclosed? But. Yeah, we'll technically it, it is. Uh, it, 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 this is just where the terrorists... It's the terrorist swap meet, basically, where they go to you know mm-hmm. swap their nuclear missiles and things. I, I was... I'm, I'm sad that we didn't see, like, the baked goods table. I know, right? And we find that the... Uh, that uh, MI6 is very interested and has a camera trained on them. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we in the series that we see Colin Salmon as a character whose name I've already forgotten. Um, <laughs> Even he, though he comes back a few times He comes back in the next two movies I believe He's definitely in Die Another Day And I think he's in the next one uh, Charles Robinson That's his character's name Yeah I was going to say Robin Yeah yeah that's right So last week Speaking of which He's sort of taking the place of Michael Kitchen's character this week uh, Last week I said mm-hmm. Michael Kitchen is going to be back in all the Brosnan films I'm wrong But he is back next week <laughs> I mean, that's the first time that either one of us has said something that turned out to be completely wrong. Oh, yeah, we've never done it before. Like, that we found out the next week that we were, oh, we're nope, off. never. <laughs> we're perfect. We're infallible. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we have Jeffrey Palmer here as Admiral Roebuck, because Admiral Sears was busy. Yep. I, I like the topical bit here where they, you know, they're trying to identify these terrorists, and the first one is somebody who's wanted for the Tokyo, uh, the Tokyo subway attack that was the, the nerve agent attack. That probably had happened very recently uh, to, to when this film came out. It was in 97. So that's this movie's version of the Duke of Wellington painting? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> They're attempt to be topical. It's, it's funny looking back on this movie because I had kind of made a comment uh, last week about Goldeneye having dated a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie to me, and this is more of a general comment, I think this movie dates even worse Oh, in a lot absolutely. of ways, because because it focuses on media, it's dated, right? But and it's right as the internet was coming out, and of course they would have no way of knowing 
mm-hmm. where media was going to go in just a few years. But, you know, you have these scenes where Elliot Carver, the villain, is talking, like, I want newspaper stories, I want magazines, and nowhere does he say web pages or anything like that. Yeah, and, and it's just... <laughs> news news on the internet was already a thing in 1990. Yeah. What is this? 97, 98? 97, I think. Yes, December 97. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, people were already getting their news on the internet in 1997. It was not, like, some brand new revelation at that point. No. And, I mean, who knows when this was written. Uh, not long still. before it was filmed, because they started filming before the script was done. Ah, uh, it kind of shows. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's... Well, I know they were rushing to get stuff done, because... And to get material and stuff out for the movie, because when the soundtrack came out the the score soundtrack it had only the first half of the movie in it <laughs> that's which fascinating. Is strange but yeah this is another one of those examples i think of especially in the brosnan films where i really like this opening bit even though the bizarre idea is goofy um it is but it works well yeah it's a well put together little thing that actually does tie into the main story although not in a lot of ways it ties in enough because we find about the decoder and that's really which, again, is another way of dating it, because they're like, the global positioning system, the GPS system, or global positioning satellites, the GPS system. Like, it's yes. a new thing, which it kind of was. You know, oh, it was like, new, Oh, then. that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. But now it's like, oh, okay. Again, though, I will say this is another instance of James Bond playing generic action hero that I'm not a super big fan of with, you know, machine guns. So, and... Yeah, something I marked down while watching this movie is that Brosnan runs around a lot. He, he does run a lot, yeah. Like, it almost feels like I'm watching a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, I mean... You know, when I said this movie is fine, I think it's also probably the biggest example of just Bond as generic action movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you could take out Bond, and it could be... It could be a Mission Impossible movie, or it could be, you know, a... I don't want to say Arnold Schwarzenegger-type movie, but... You know, any generic action hero from the late 90s could be in this part, I think, and do this movie, and it, would be a, it wouldn't be it would suffer that much. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I think this movie is sort of just fine. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing egregious about it, but there's nothing stellar about it either. Right. I mean, there's... I think it's competently made, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... it's I've never... I'm, I wasn't bored really watching it. I was never really sucked in and engrossed in it that much, to be honest, either, but... Yeah, we've seen much worse. Yeah. The real interesting thing is, if you were to ask me which movie I would rather sit down and watch, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, or or Die Another Day, I would pick Die Another Day every time. Okay. Even though it's not a better movie. <laughs> I'm looking forward, in a weird way, to watching Die Another Day, simply because I think I've watched it in its entirety maybe twice. Mm. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> that's going to be the one where I'm going to not remember a lot of that movie. <laughs> I remember The Invisible Car, and I remember a few other things that were not great, but... Yeah, no, I would say, of, but, of the Brosnan films, Tomorrow Never Dies is not the worst, but it is probably my least favorite. It's never going to be the one I'm going to choose to put on. Right. No, I have never in my life said... I'm going to sit down and watch Tomorrow Never Dies. That has never <laughs> happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even when the DVDs came out and I bought them all, like I don't know if I ever took it out of the box. I remember, I watched this on DVD once. I remember being annoyed because it was a 
it was one of the, because it came out in 97 it was one of the early earliest movies to come out on DVD so it wasn't a, a true widescreen DVD it was letterboxed 43 that's really all i remember about the DVD of tomorrow never dies yeah i don't i don't remember but it was probably one of the ones that you didn't have to buy in the box set because it was you know it was released right around when they were releasing DVDs yeah um I remember buying it on blue on not Blu-ray on on DVD because at one point they were selling them all in like four volumes, but they were completely randomly distributed throughout the boxes. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, that was so annoying. I had a couple of those because like because like to buy Goldfinger you had to buy like Octopussy or something, and I mean of course I bought them all eventually, but. Yeah, and I had, um, and then I, I had quite a few on Blu-ray as well. I, I think I had all of the Brazen era and some of the others, and then, ooh, like six. Well, no, actually, it would have been what year did Spectre, uh, not Spectre, uh, what year did Skyfall come out? Uh, well, it was two thousand and thirteen, I think, because it was the fiftieth anniversary, right. right? Or was it? Yeah, and they made they released a special fiftieth anniversary Blu-ray box set of all the Bond films. Mm-hmm. Which I have and is annoying because it doesn't fit in the shelf with the other discs normally. But is 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 that is that the one that had like the empty space? Because the one I bought had an empty space for Spectre. Yes. And I remember thinking, oh, well, that's awfully pretentious of you because I didn't like Spectre, and then of course I bought it anyway. But uh. <laughs> well, no, mine doesn't have an. Uh, it originally had an empty space for Skyfall when it first came out. Um, right. But yeah, that's what I, I meant. Yeah. I bought the one. That came that was a little bit after that. It actually came with Skyfall in it. Like after Skyfall was released on Blu-ray, they re-released the box set to include Skyfall. Oh yeah, you showed me that, and it has that weird giant box that is annoying. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's very annoying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but now I own them all on iTunes, so it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> and I and I have the I have the um, the Daniel Craig ones on 4K Blu-ray because why not? Um, but Yes, anyway, back to this movie. Yeah. Uh, so you get a lot of, you know, again, generic action blowing up of stuff. Yep. I feel like maybe things were different in the 90s when they didn't have as good satellite coverage, but I feel like the the Navy should have control over their missiles at all times. Yeah, I, I, I made a <laughs> mental note of that too. Like, oh, the missile's out of range. I'm like, well, then your range stinks. Like, yeah. <laughs> You launched the missile, like, two minutes ago. Yeah. You'd think you'd want to have full control over these things up until the moment they impact. Mm-hmm. Of course, then Bond wouldn't have to steal the plane. So, because we find out that the plane that's there has these nuclear weapons attached to it. And as the Russian guy says, even if the if they don't detonate, there's enough plutonium to make Chernobyl look like Picnic. I don't agree with that assessment, but okay. No, that's not how plutonium works, but okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can see the missiles. There's there's plutonium there, but there's not a lot of it. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that it doesn't look like there's anything around there. So yeah, and I <laughs> not I think inhabited area. I think the idea, the odds of the actual warheads exploding are probably low. Should be low if the warheads are designed well. Um, but they're Russian, so they might not be. Um, but. So that in and of itself is probably not as big an issue. And even if they did go off, that's not that big of an issue because it's just a terrorist uh, arms bazaar. It's not like a, you know, crowded city or anything. Um, right. 
And, and they seem perfectly happy with Bond killing everybody that's there. Right. And they and, were going to blow them up anyway. Yeah, and with if... A, with a cruise missile. Yes, so. there, would, there would be radiation spread around, but it wouldn't be anything, like, you know, that would, you know, cause... It would not be Chernobyl. Chernobyl is still no. and will continue to be a huge nuclear problem for centuries. That's not that would not mm-hmm. have happened here. <laughs> no, no. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh you get a rather goofy bit with these planes here. Uh there's a guy that Bond knocked out in the back seat and then he gets choked so he can make his pain face again. And he, Bond ejects him right, like, into the cockpit right above him of the other plane. Yeah, I'm not sure how well that would have actually worked, but yes. And it no. makes that plane explode, too. There's always just... Well, I mean, it, yeah. There's always explosions with you, Bond. Yes. But it, it's funny. Uh, it It's okay. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's it, meant it, to be a joke, obviously, yeah. Yeah. And Bond goes, you know, his little quip, backseat driver. Mm-hmm. And I, and I do like how he, at the end, they're, they're like, Ask the Admiral where he'd like his bombs delivered. <laughs> yep. And then we get the theme. We do. Well, we get a theme. Yes. Such as it is. So you um, clearly really want to talk about that, so. Well, <laughs> so I actually had made a men- note to mention him earlier, but um, we had talked a little bit, or you would highlighted the fact that Eric Serra's music is a little different than what we're used to with a Bond movie from Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Uh the producers went out and hired David Arnold for this movie, who at the time was probably best known for writing the music to movies like Independence Day and yeah. um, Stargate. Mm-hmm. I think he does a fantastic job of channeling John Barry in this movie. Oh, yeah, I think it's And fine. he wrote a theme that was performed by Katie Lang and shows up throughout the movie. whatever reason probably because she was very popular in the mid to late 90s they ultimately decided to push that theme to the end of the movie and hired Cheryl Crow to do a song
it just doesn't work for me. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, it it's all right. Doesn't really. It it's it's an it's an adequate song. It just doesn't really fit anything that the movie is trying to do, really. Right. Whereas if you've listened to the Katie Lang song, like even the lyrics really kind of go along with the theme of writing the future before it happens because you're manipulating things and that sort of stuff. So I just very much prefer it. Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate that it was replaced, but luckily they kept the the theme for next week's, which I think is another really great song that we'll get to next week. I Yeah, I love the theme for World Is Not Enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the, the dancing naked circuit board ladies, that's just weird, right? Yeah, it's another Danny Kleinman uh, who came on bef- t- with Goldeneye. I don't quite know what he's going for with a lot of this stuff. Uh, I remember in the theater, because I, I went to see this in the theater, some of these screens were very bright. Like, there's a lot of white, you know, stuff on white in this mm-hmm. credits, which is not always great when you're in the theater. Yeah. Uh, but uh, screens exploding and these weird uh, x-ray images and st- I don't know. Just like everything else, it's fine. <laughs> I I don't dislike it. I don't love it. Forgot to mention that this is this is the era of Bond where we're changing up directors every time out. Uh, this time we get Roger Spottiswood, who the only other movie I really know of his was the great Tom Hanks film Turner and Hooch. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, which has its moments. I like Turner and Hooch. <laughs> I yeah, I like Turner and Hooch too, but that doesn't make me say. Go direct a Bond movie. Right. Uh, but they make interesting director decisions in a lot of times here. So Yeah. It's... I mean, I, don't, I think the direction is fine in the movie, just like everything else. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, it's not incompetently directed. It's... So we cut to yeah. British ship in the South China Sea, mm-hmm. and they're being threatened by MiGs that are saying they're in Chinese waters, and they're not... Uh, you know, because we have Chekhov's GPS encoder. Right. And that's when we find out that there's a secret stealth boat that's sneaking up on them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that works. Can you can you have a stealth boat? Okay, so I can see the stealth boat being invisible to radar above the surface. That, because it would be the same sort of thing as stealth planes, etc. I don't mm-hmm. see how they could disguise the water displacement, though. Like, even... Yeah. Even if the material itself... I, I don't see it being invisible to sonar. I don't think right. that works the same way. In fact, I know it doesn't work the same way. Because <laughs> radar is light and sonar is sound. And it's going to displace water. So it's Right, gonna, exactly. Yeah, and it, I'm not sure this works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a clever idea that's... It, it's not the first time and it's not the last time in Bond where you say, that's kind of cool, but then you think about it for two seconds, you're like, wait, that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I do think this is clever, though, how they're using that GPS thing, even though the, one of the things that doesn't really work for me is the CGI satellites. Um, <laughs> but how they're using the, the GPS stuff to confuse these ships to where they actually are positioned because yeah. they're just relying on satellite signals to locate. So they're actually really, they're like, the Chinese aren't wrong when they say you're in Chinese waters, and they just don't know it. Yeah. Well, they may actually be in Vietnamese waters, as we find out later, but yes. And I think the the sea drill is kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know where they got a sea drill from. It's another example of where did Carver get his little army that he has 
doing stuff, but... Where does any Bond villain get his army? Yeah, he's, he's a Bond villain, so he gets an army. Stamper here, I think, is the epitome of the Aryan henchman guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that we've been building up to <laughs> in other films. <laughs> uh, he He's quite ludicrous at times, but... Yeah, with the with the white blonde hair and that chiseled jaw. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like... Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I killed somebody that looked a lot like him in Doom. <laughs> or, or Wolfenstein, at least. Probably Wolfenstein more than... Oh, him. yeah. Definitely, probably Wolfenstein, yeah. I'm not sure how well, like... How does it go up? How does it turn inside the ship? Like, it shouldn't it have to be completely flooded for that to work? I would think. Well, and I'm not even quite sure how it's being maneuvered period but i also don't think the ship would sink that quickly no i don't think so either like it's designed pretty poorly if it does well i mean like i remember in fear eyes only when the saint george goes down right at the beginning when it hits that mine Mm -hmm. um i mean i'm i'm wondering i mean maybe that one i mean that one went down pretty fast too that at least exploded true but yeah this just drilled a big hole in it yeah and they also give up on the ship pretty quickly here Mm Mm-hmm. so well, considering how fast it was sinking, that makes sense. Well, yeah, but it probably shouldn't have. Uh, I do appreciate the one so- shot the, that verifies this is a British vessel because we see the HP sauce bottle bouncing around on the table. <laughs> I think their haircuts already showed us that it was a British vessel, but sure. Well, sure, yeah. This is another case of a Bond movie where I think the setup works a lot better than what we actually get at the end of the movie. Because <laughs> I, I like this idea of... The, the media guy is back home writing this headline as it's happening because he's manipulating the story. Right. I think, and I think that works. And, and he, I like how he has like the blank space for the number of bodies because then he's waiting to find out how many they had to shoot. And and I could totally buy, you know, especially in the days now of twenty four hour media and all that stuff. Just you know, this guy who has his fingers in everything and can release stories. And and it reminds me a little bit of. Uh, I can't remember if you've watched Sherlock or not. Yes. Um, the, you know, the the media guy who is blackmailing people and, and the person he's blackmailing says, you know, you don't have any evidence. And he says, I don't need evidence. I just have to write it. And that's all that matters. Um, you know, they can just insinuate something. I don't I don't know if we're at that point now, given where we are, but at least at the time it, it made sense to me that, you know, if a news media a respected news agency puts something out it's going to be given the benefit of the doubt whether or not you can prove it or not uh i'm not sure of how that works in today uh no today i don't think it works at all yeah <laughs> uh, news media is well the situation with news media today is complex yes i agree <laughs> again it's it's much simpler in this story than it is now yeah you know 13 years later or whatever I like the uh, the throwaway line at Microsoft for the like, your new software just came out, and as you requested, we put lots of bugs in it. Yes. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, that's the guy that is in the vault in Mission Impossible. Is he? I think so. You know the guy that makes sick and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. And the consider him slimed guy is Michael G. Wilson doing another cameo. Speaking of consider him slimed, okay. This is 1997. (laughs) The President of the United States is Bill Clinton. It -hmm. would be neither surprising nor a problem 
if it was released that Bill Clinton was in a was in a hot was in a hotel room with a cheerleader, unless the cheerleader was underage, I don't see that becoming an actual scandal. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Considering the actual scandal, the actual sex scandal that Bill Clinton was that... embroiled in, in his like, I don't see this being a problem. <laughs> I don't. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm with. I'm absolutely with you on that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a line and a, and a little exchange that works under any other presidency. Yes, but not. <laughs> and this would have been before that, before the Lewinsky scandal was big news. Or so I guess it does work then. But no, even then, Clinton True. had there. Well, there was Clinton the had a long string before of that. Yeah. <laughs> The American people knew about Bill Clinton's proclivities. And right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it would work. But anyway, I just thought that was especially amusing yeah. because it was in the 90s. Like, if it had been George W. Bush, absolutely that would have worked. But, um... <laughs> yes. Bill Clinton, I'm not sure it would have. Being now we cut to uh, James Bond's brushing up on some Janish. Yeah, he's sleeping with his Danish teacher because what? who doesn't he sleep yeah. with? Because, right... And this so, is the scene where we really start getting into the the bad double entendres with oh, Pierce Brosnan, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so like, he says he'll be in London in an hour. Money Penny says make it thirty minutes. Right. He's in Oxford. It takes more than an hour to drive from Oxford to London. I looked this up when I was watching it, because I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Uh And we see him drive. It's not like he took a helicopter or something. No, because they show his DB5 parked outside. Yeah, and then they show it arriving at... Yeah. This does not work. Yeah. (laughs) No, and Moneypenny makes a comment about him being a cunning linguist. Just, okay. This is when we, we bizarrely find out that Julian Fellows is the Minister of Defense. Yes. Which is an interesting bit of casting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Thad and I actually watched this together. Yes, we did. Uh, over the weekend. <laughs> and and I remember watching it and like, that's Julian Fellows. I'm like, no, it can't be. And nobody else looks like that. And then... <laughs> there, no, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I said no one on the, on the face of the earth has ever looked like Julian Fellows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He is a very distinctive appearance. Yeah. He, he is, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That is most definitely Julian Fellows. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, he's he's the Minister of Defense now. So for people who may not know, Julian Fellows is a British actor and uh, producer. Uh, he was in a bunch of things back in the 90s. Like, a lot of movies and TV shows in in, in the UK. Uh, he's probably most famous today for being the creator of Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Which, interestingly enough, the internet claims Hugh Bonneville, one of the stars of Downton Abbey, is in this movie, but I have yet to actually see him. Yeah. Yeah, we've been trying to find him and been unsuccessful. Apparently he's on that ship towards the end of the movie. Uh, the British ship, but who knows? Supposedly. Maybe he's... Yeah. Um, we get another in a long line of being briefed in the car here with M. Yeah. Uh, we find out that, that Bond was dating Elliot Carver's wife at one point. Who hasn't um, Bond dated at one point? Well, that's true. Leads to the line about pumping her for information, and Money Penny says you have to decide how much pumping is needed, which is, again, kind of... Ugh. Yeah. But this was... This was considered... 
amusing dialogue back in the mid, mid to late 90s, I guess. Uh, it's and it's, a little it's the kind of thing that is all over the Brosnan era, I think. Yes. So, yeah. Money Penny is sitting at her computer, but it just has giant words on the screen enter logon code. She's not, like, mm-hmm. actually using that computer. <laughs> okay, I guess in the next well, scene you maybe. do see something in it, but okay. Still. Yeah. She. That, that's good cybersecurity right there. Yeah, they didn't have good cybersecurity in the 90s. No, no, they didn't. I mean, that's when passwords were things like chair. <laughs> yes. Then we have Bond in a German airport. Doing very bad German. Very bad German, yes. And Q shows up as an Avis guy in, in the bright red mm-hmm. jacket. Yep. Man, Q has definitely gotten old at this point. He kind of looked like this, I think, last time out. And I think he looks really quite old in the next movie, which is sadly his last movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he was. I think he had passed away before the movie even came out. I believe you're right. Well, he died in an auto accident, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but he was already. They had all. He would had already. Um, like passed. He had already retired from the role. That's why they introduced John Cleese in that movie. No, no, you're right. But yes, he did die in an in an auto accident. Um, driving home yeah. from driving home from a book signing. Sad, since he's the last. Well, not really original because he wasn't in Doctor No, but. The last tie all the way back to, you know, the second Bond film. Yeah. We get probably the worst Bond car, I think, in this franchise. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool what it does, but just in terms of its look, it's just a box. It's a, it's a BMW. BMWs were boxes, but yeah. But at least the BMW last time looked sporty. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't look great. And I am actually wrong. The World is Not Enough came out a month before Q, uh, Q before Desmond Llewellyn died. Oh, okay. So... We get introduced to his fancy new cell phone, which was... Which has 70,000 volt... Not, was it 70,000? 20,000. I think it's 20,000. 20,000 volt security system. Okay, so number one, that phone yep. is way too small to generate 20,000 volts. Uh, number <laughs> two, why does it generate 20,000 volts? Well, I think we find out in about 30 minutes, but... No, because it still doesn't need to generate nearly that much. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. I mean... If you're trying to shock somebody, it's not the voltage, it's it's the current that matters. So <laughs> Yeah. Well yeah, the amperage matters far more than the than the voltage. Mm-hmm. But you combine the two and that's how you get the Okay. Now that I'm okay, twenty thousand may actually be accurate. I just looked this up. The uh voltage on a police taser is usually between thirty thousand and fifty thousand volts. So, 20,000 may be accurate. It may be. It, it depends on what kind of battery they have in there. I think they probably have, a, like, a 9-volt or a couple 9-volts in the taser. I don't know. Well, they would need to have more than a couple. <laughs> well, true. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I mean, because I know that you get... Like, I don't know what a stun gun has, because I know that's pretty high vo- or high voltage, mm-hmm. too. So, again, Right, and then, I, from what I'm reading, the reason a, the reason a taser, for instance, has 50,000 volts is because the amperage is so low, so it's not lethal. So, okay, I still don't think in 1997 a device that small could produce 20,000 volts. I don't think you can today, but anyway. um, So, I just have to to say, I love the fact that we have spent 10 minutes dissecting the nuances of this 20,000-volt security system, but we're totally okay with the fact that it has a remote control that drives the car. Okay, that's also (laughs) not... Yeah, no... (laughs) That technology exists today. It did not then. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
there's no way that screen was as clear as it actually was either. No. I remember what handheld LCD screens looked like in the 90s, and it was not that. <laughs> it was like the EGA of phone screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Maybe VGA, but... <laughs> also, I realize Bond is a, is a cocky asshole, but he sure was lucky that he knew exactly how good the brakes on that BMW were. <laughs> yes. Because it would have kneecapped him, too. Yep. Oh, well. But that's why he's Bond. Speaking of him being Bond, we are now at Mm -hmm. uh, Carver's (laughs) media event. And Mm -hmm. Bond, number one, introduces himself to Carver as James Bond. Number two, (laughs) does his standard thing where if he wasn't suspicious before, he sure is now that you're dropping all these hints about all these things you know. Yep, he's... This is, like, peak baiting here. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? To the point where he goes from... Where Carver goes from being somewhat ambivalent about his existence to having him taken off to get beaten up in the space of about five minutes. So, yeah. I mean, because that's before he sees the, the the video that Ricky Jay has recorded. Yeah, it's odd. Yeah. So... Anyway, Bond gets to talk to Terry Hatcher, who, interestingly, uh, they filmed all of her scenes first when filming mm-hmm. this movie because she was discovered she was pregnant just after she was cast in this role. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So. And the reason... Well, she's only in a few scenes anyway, or I wonder yeah. if they changed the script. They may have. Also, the only reason she took the role was because it was her husband's lifelong dream to be married to a Bond girl. Really? <laughs> Which is okay. slightly creepy, but I guess if they're both into it and a okay with bit, it, yeah. then sure, okay. Yeah, sure, why not? We haven't mentioned yet that this is also where we meet Michelle Yeoh for yes. the first time. Who we all, you and I both know, of course, now from being in Star Trek. Uh, I mean, I knew who she was before Star Trek, but yes. <laughs> no, of course, of course, of uh, course. Uh, she's most famous for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, the first movie I have heard of on on the list is Tomorrow Never Dies. So she okay. probably was not well-known at all before this movie. But I think she's quite good in this. Oh, she's very good in this, yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm a fan of her work in general. Yeah, she's she's always good. She's she's good in everything. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see Crazy Rich Asians? Uh, no, I have not seen it. But I know she's okay. in it. She is in it, and I recommend seeing it. Okay. Not... Entirely just for her. I mean, the movie in general is good, but... I mean, we just... We, we get a generic fight scene here with these... I mean, they're in the soundproof booth, which is kind of cute. Yeah. Uh, Bond beats up a bunch of old guys. Basically, yes. They should have just killed him. Yeah, how many times have we said that? I know, right? Honestly, it's not as bad in this movie, because they never set up elaborate deaths for Bond that fail in this movie. <laughs> So it's not right as bad. Not like last movie with the helicopter. No, I mean the closest they come is when they is well, well, I mean before that like when they have him in the the tall building and then he escapes before they can torture him. Um, yeah, but they weren't planning Or I guess even like the the bit with Dr. Kaufman. Oh yeah, the part with Kaufman. Yeah, they should have Kauf- well, they couldn't kill him because they needed the car, but yeah. But we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> Bond shuts the the power off on Carver as he's doing his sh- spiel, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is very embarrassing for him. 
let's just say, continue with the Microsoft trend. It's kind of like when Windows 98 blue screens when uh, Bill Gates was displaying it for the first time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, Bond goes back to drink Smirnoff, of all things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess it's, at least it's not, like, Vladimir or something, but it's not, you know... Pop off? Yeah. Yeah. So, Paris, Carver's wife, shows up at Bond's hotel room, and they, uh... Make Boo Loop. Yes, they make Boo Loop. Um... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's worth noting, because of stuff that happens later, that Carver sends her to Bond's hotel room. Yes. Because... Because he didn't yet know that she... Yeah, but... I mean... So, yeah, Car- Paris goes to Bond's hotel room, and what you expect to happen happens. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, meanwhile, Carver meets up with Gupta, who recorded their conversation, and hears her say something about Bond keeping a gun under his pillow, which suddenly makes Carver decide to kill her. Yeah. So I guess he would have been okay with her sleeping with Bond if she hadn't known him already? Maybe, because then it wouldn't have been, like, a romantic thing? Maybe. I, I don't know. It's, it doesn't make much sense to me. No. Also, I'm, I feel like knowing that he sleeps with a gun under his pillow doesn't also automatically mean he's a secret agent. It could just mean he's a weirdo who sleeps with a gun under his pillow. True. Yeah. I'm sure there are people... I don't, but I'm sure plenty of people do. I mean, this is America, where we live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I Yes, I'm sure there are plenty of idiots who sleep with guns under their pillows. So she does tell Bond how to sneak into Carver's facility. Right. Which he does. And there's, you know, just like satellites just hanging out, because why not? That is the chintziest looking prop I think I've ever seen. It's practically made out of styrofoam. It might actually be made out of styrofoam. Yeah, and and it wouldn't be as bad if they didn't make the point of saying this is like, like what, a couple hundred million dollars or something? Mm-hmm. Like, if they hadn't called attention to the fact that this is an expensive satellite, I probably wouldn't really notice. But they do. Yeah. Bond breaks into a safe that has the GPS decoder and some porn and cocaine and some, I'm guessing, heroin or something in a syringe. So they keep all of their vices in one place. I guess. I mean, who locks up their porn? That's, what, that's my question. <laughs> like... I understand the co- the cocaine, the heroin, sure, those are expensive things, but who locks up their porn? <laughs> That's a great question. Like, unless this is like a vintage Playboy or something, which it's not, uh, why? Also, uh, it should be noted that the security on this building, if you can get through the, secu- the, the swipe lock with the 20,000 volt phone taser, then it's not a very well-designed swipe lock. That is true. I, I like the, the German porn magazine that says sex spiel on it sex talk i assume yeah is the spiel mean spiel in no German? spiel spiel i think is game actually oh sex game okay it's called the magazine is called blitz illu <laughs> blitz Lou. i'm looking up to see if that's a real well it takes me to german wikipedia which is not all <laughs> that helpful <laughs> It was discontinued in 2008, but yes, it was uh, focused on representations of undressed women and the initiation of sexual sex, sexual contacts via cipher or 900 number. Oh, so it's basically a basically an ad for one of those sex hotlines or something. Okay. Also, there's a whole bunch of American money there too, in the safe. It, it's like all of the it's like all of the naughty things are in yeah. the safe. 
It's weird to see those old-style $100 bills. Yeah. How many newspaper printing sites have guards with machine guns? Like, does the New York Times have, like, security people wandering around? No, but I hope the New York Times isn't trying to start World War III. Oh, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> All right, does Fox News have people walking around? Never mind. Um, <laughs> you know, it would shock I'm gonna, me. I'll, I will cut that out. <laughs> hey, if we're going to be independent, we can say that. Uh... <laughs> Well, if I if I'm if I did that, I'm gonna if I cut if I can keep that in, I'm gonna go back and restore my line about uh, in Thunderball, where I said that uh, Felix was wearing a MAGA hat in one of the scenes. Uh, <laughs> you can. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, nah, it's fine. Uh, so Bond sneaks out with the decoder, and yep, Carver calls him and says, "You have my decoder and my wife in your hotel room." So now Bond knows something's up so he rushes back to the hotel room parks like an asshole well he's driving a bmw it's required (laughs) finds paris dead and the tv is talking about how paris carver was just found dead in a hotel along with a unknown man who appeared to have killed himself correct and that's when uh the guy from arsenal of freedom shows up yeah so yeah the guy from the star trek next generation episode arsenal freedom shows up Vincent Chiavelli. He's been in many other things. Vincent Chiavelli. He's been in many, many, many other things. He has. But the other... Last week, when you were saying his name and I didn't know who he was, you... That was the reference you went to, and I immediately knew who you meant. So now that's who I think, <laughs> yes, he, think of. It's the, it's the holographic yep. salesman from, from Arsenal of Freedom. <laughs> that's right. It's like, yeah, which, which reference was bad? Reckon- ah, that's one. You know, when you say the guy from Arsenal of Freedom, I might have thought that you meant Chief Engineer Logan. No. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever means Chief Engineer Logan. Oh, Logan. No, 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 definitely not. I'll take Leland T. Lynch I mean, over Logan. Chief Engineer day. Leland, I was going to say Leland T. Lynch, maybe, but he wasn't in <laughs> Arsenal of Freedom, so. No. And uh, God, we really don't want to talk about this movie, do we? And the <laughs> assistant Chief Engineer Seg Wig wasn't in, this movie, in Arsenal of Freedom either. <laughs> Who do we have left? McDougal, I think, is the only other one uh, left. Uh, uh, no, Mc- oh, well, there's McDougal, but then there's also Argyle. Oh, how did I forget Argyle? How do you forget Argyle? He's sh- he's in more than all the others put together. True. And the only reason he didn't keep coming back is because he tried to start a fan campaign to get named as a main cast member. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, he, try- <laughs> he tried to organize a writing oh, campaign to get himself named as a main cast member, and they're like, nah, you're done. <laughs> No, we're we no longer need your services. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh man, and then Jordy would have been stuck at the helm forever. It's true. Yeah. Then we never would have gotten Nelson Rowe. Nope. All right. So back to so this anyway in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, climb our way out of the Vincent Chiavelli rat hole that we fell into here. <laughs> Um, well, kind of like how Picard and Crusher fell into that hole in Arsenal of Freedom. <laughs> in Arsenal of Freedom. <laughs> and when they, that's where they met Vincent Chiavelli, so it makes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, that, that, it all comes full circle. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be our shortest episode ever. <laughs> Record for three hours, come up with 20 minutes of usable content. Speaking of Vincent Chiavelli, I, I just love the way he like, comes in and he's, you know... 
I'm a professional, and, and he's like, you couldn't, it won't look like a suicide from over there, and he's like, I am a professor of forensic medicine. Believe me, Mr. Bond, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still create the proper effect. Mm-hmm. And then Stamper calls him on the phone. I like how the first thing he says to Stamper is, did you call the auto club? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, we need to get in your car. I feel like an idiot. I don't know what to say. <laughs> he's uh, like, I, I'm supposed to torture you if you don't give it to me. He's like, is that your job too? He's like, no, that's more of a hobby. That's good. I'm very gifted. <laughs> I mean, that's where we get the uh, the security system again. Yep. And I like how he says, I'm just a professional doing a job, and Bond says, me too. And then, yeah. Right. And then he shoots him in the head while he's holding the gun, leaving an unidentified man who looks like he died by gunshot to the head. Self-inflicted gunshot wound. So, I find that interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And Stamper sees Bond leaving, so... We don't know this yet, but we will later find out that Kaufman was Stamper's mentor. So, when they're trying to get into the car, they take sledgehammers Mm -hmm. to the windows, and it doesn't even scratch them. And yet, later, they shoot the windshield, and the bullets go through. Right. Well, they softened up the... Well, so, (laughs) either it was part of the security system, which makes no sense. It does make no sense. Or, Or, more likely, it is we need to put a hole... In the windshield in the back window, so we can do the gag where they shoot the missile at him, and it goes. Well, that, the car. that was absolutely what they needed to do. But like, they they should have at least had like a scratch on the us, like a ding on the window when he when they hit with the sledgehammer, but it doesn't break, you know, to at least show that the wind right. the yeah. windshield can be damaged. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't really work. But oh well, I, I do kind of like how Bond you turns on the the car's like poison gas system. And uh, then get then drives it from the back seat. That's kind of cool. Yeah, uses the phone. He's being the backseat driver now. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's the the cue on the, uh, the for the music on the soundtrack is backseat driver. Nice. Um. Yeah. So I do take issue with the one bit where they stretch the chain or the 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 yes. cable to take out his car, and he has the, c- the little. The tool that comes at the exact right height to cut that chain. Yeah. yeah. I also take issue with the... I take issue with the gate that doesn't even get a dent when he fires missiles at it, too. That shouldn't have been possible. I also do not see how those magical healing reinflating tires work. No, I... I can see having a tire uh, a system to reinflate them, but how does he take the holes out of them i i mean in two movies we're gonna get an invisible car so yeah well they kind of explain that one they kind of <laughs> that's true and having it land in the avis office is a nice touch that is a nice touch in the car like you know thank you for a safe drive or something that it says like, yes congratulations yeah. on a safe journey on a safe journey that's right yes <laughs> another thing that i take issue with is the fact that jack wade is in this movie yeah why also that hat that he wears I, I do like that we get to see Bond in uniform again. Yes. Which is nice. The first time in a long time. Uh, since the Moore yeah. era. I believe it's the third time we see him in a uniform. Let me... We previously see that in You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who Loved Me. Right, that was... Yeah, because he's... When he comes from the funeral mm-hmm. in his uniform. Yeah. So then we do this weird jump thing for reasons. So the guy leading Bond out to make his jump has a mustache that is interesting yes it's like sticking out yeah 
Yeah, and it's very short. It's not like Hitler short, but it's short. Um, he jumps out, and Jack Wade says, he didn't even say goodbye. And thankfully, I think that's the last time we ever see him in a Bond movie. Don't say that. Joe Don Baker's gonna pop up in No Time to Die now. Is he still alive? I believe so. Okay. But if he shows up, it's gonna be your fault. Oh, man. I mean, I already once said it couldn't be worse than Spectre, so... He is, in fact, still alive. Okay. He's 84. Okay, I don't, I don't think he'll be in the movie. <laughs> Probably not. I hope he won't be. Yeah, so, the, I mean, this seems like a very complicated way of getting down to the ship. A little bit. But, I mean, I guess if they're in Chinese territorial waters and whatnot, or Vietnamese, they find out yes. they're actually in Vietnamese waters... Yes. Um, Joe Don Baker hasn't been in anything since 2012. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there hasn't been a lot of demand to bring Jack Wade back, so... <laughs> Probably not. So, of course, the, the cliff that the ship is on is breaking up because we need drama. Mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh um, is bad at infiltrating places, too. Like, why does she... she... Yeah, I mean, she keeps running into Bond. Yes, literally. Yeah. They, and when they manage to, they swim out through the torpedo tubes, they hold their breath for a very long time. They do. And I, I always get a, a weird, like, feeling of claustrophobia for that. Like, the way they're barely fitting up that tube. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah. So they come up, and there's uh, the ship, that, the boat that she came in, and she waves to the guy in the boat that's, like, maybe, like, a hundred feet. It's not that far. Uh, yep. And she's like, bring the boat. It's like, just swim to the boat. It's right there. And now we get the... <laughs> now we find out we have a repeat from Thunder from Thunderball here where the bad guys have taken over the boat. No, no that's, um, that's for your eyes only. Was it for your eyes only? Sure? Yeah, when they come up out of the submarine and the bad oh, guys Oh, you're right, you're right, it was. I was thinking Thunderbolt, because that's the one with all the underwater stuff. But, yeah. Yes, but... Oh, that's right, that's only Because that, the... that's, that's the scene where you get the pan over the guy's junk. That's right, yep. That you're so... Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we didn't have that this time. Uh... <laughs> no. So, Bond and Michelle Yeoh's character, whose name... I don't know if I ever knew. Uh, Wei uh, Lin. Uh, are handcuffed together, and of course Bond has to make jokes about that. Yes. We seem to have developed an attachment to each other. So many handcuff jokes. So many handcuff jokes. There are a lot of handcuff jokes. Just off the cuff, I thought we might link up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So as they approach the Carver building, there's a giant banner of Carver on the building, and Bond says... If I didn't know better, I'd say he developed an edifice complex. Which is amusing. <laughs> it is amusing. Although, as you pointed out to me, that's incorrect because... No, see, I feel like it's still funny, though, regardless. It works. Yeah, no. It's I not mean, he's not making... He's not... Yeah, he's not no. saying that he has an Oedipus complex. He's, yeah, uh, the Bond wiki, yes, mm-hmm. calls out that it, that really he's a narcissist and not a, and a narcissistic complex, not an Oedipus complex. And it's like, yeah, but that ruins the joke. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. The people who write the Bond wiki have no joy. And I, I see that Carver is doing that old style thing of having multiple monitors, but having them mirrored. Mm-hmm. Because he has two copies of the same thing going, which I always would find confusing. A little bit. I like how he shows off the different headlines, and he shows the Empire will strike back. He's like, and that one's not even mine. Yes. So, we talked about how A View to a Kill wastes Christopher Walken. This movie wastes Jonathan Price. Yeah, but 
I definitely feel like Jonathan Price is working his butt off to make something of this character that he's been given to play. He's doing everything he can to make this character work. <laughs> and he... Yeah. It's just not a very great movie in general. But yeah, he's trying. He's definitely acting his butt off. It's an interesting idea. They just... I don't think they knew what to do with him. Yeah. I mean, the... the we When we find out what the actual plot is, it's very... It's like, huh? Okay. Like, we're going to start World War Three to end World War Three, so that this Chinese guy can take over, so, and then he's going to let me broadcast in China. Yep. Yep, that's the end game. I mean, th- there there's so many moving parts to this idea. Yes. And even now, like, I don't... I don't care if Rupert Murdoch can broadcast Fox News in China. Like, <laughs> yeah. what does that mean? Yeah, it's funny. We were watching this movie, like... I was talking about how I f- always forget about this movie within, like, a day of watching it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned, like, I remember that this movie is about evil Rupert Murdoch. I'm like, well, eviler Rupert Murdoch. And that, yeah, it's right. still just like, eh. It's just a, yeah. Kind of like how last movie was, you know, basically destroying London to steal millions of dollars. Which is sort of like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this movie is starting and ending World War Three, so you can broadcast your cable channel in every country. I mean, that's sort of an issue with all of the Brosnan films, really. I mean, maybe other than The World Is Not Enough, which I think does an interesting yeah. spin on I like the, the, villain, the Bond uh, villain idea. Yeah, I like the, the villain in The World Is Not Enough. Uh, I mean, Robert Carlyle is a really good actor in general. Right. Well, I'm thinking of the other one, too. Well, yeah, she is, too. But, like, I mean, even Gustav Graves makes... His plot makes no sense. Well... Nothing in Die Another Day makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like they, in this one, in this round of films, they were setting up set pieces and, like, interesting character ideas, but then didn't really think through what they were going to do with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, again, evil, evil, er, <laughs> evil, er, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch is an interesting idea, mm-hmm. especially given the era that this film was made in. Like, I, I wonder what you could do with a more evil Rupert Murdoch in 2020. Well, maybe we'll see another Bond film with that at some point. Maybe. But yeah, so, yeah, we again, it's the second time movie in a row where we finally find out what the end game is, and it's like, huh? All right. <laughs> yeah. Also, it should be noted that we find out what the end game is, and we still have a lot of movie left to go. Yeah. There's still almost an hour of this movie. Like, 45 minutes. Well, we spend a good 10 minutes on a bike chase through... Vietnam here, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. It just it, it's it's sort of like a less painful version of the motorboat chase in Live and Let Die, in that it's fine. It just goes on way longer than it needs to. Yes, uh, I also I enjoy it at the end when they when he when he crashes when he gets the helicopter to crash. You can clearly tell that if they that there aren't real people in the helicopter as it crashes because they don't react at all to the fact that they're flying into a wall. Yes, yes. <laughs> They just sit there calmly with their arms down, like, okay, we're flying into a wall now. Yeah, yeah, this, we're, we're, we're just a couple of dummies here. I mean, they do these little gags, like, she has to go sit on his lap and face the other way. He's like, don't get any ideas. But then she goes back, right, which is fine, but then she, like, goes back the other way, and then she has to flip around again, and this is, yeah. you know, it, it I don't know, also, it's, it's just 
Have you ever seen a BMW motorcycle in the real world? No, I've never. I feel like this movie is the only time I have ever seen a BMW motorcycle. They they don't seem like a motorcycle company to me, but no. maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe maybe they're maybe they're a foreign only thing. I mean that that is that does happen where there's you know products that get sold in other countries that don't get sold over here. So who knows? That's certainly possible, but mostly it's just product placement for BMW. Yeah. Oh, of course. And Range Rover, because we see the close-up of the Range Rovers hitting yeah. each other. But yeah, it goes on way too long. Um, after we get the we get the fun scene where they're where they're taking a shower at an outdoor shower together, and she cuffs him to the pipe. Yep. And then because she then rips out because it's it's Vietnam. Yeah. And this is when we see get to see Michelle Yeoh fight because she gets attacked by Chinese goons. Yep. I like Bond getting his second variation of the lighter trick that he did at the beginning of the movie where, you know, he lights the guy's cigarette and then punches him and here he pretends to have a cig- a, a lighter in his hand. Yes. Which I think it's kind of clever. I think that fake out works much better than the time he tried to make out with himself <laughs> uh, in that Diamonds bad. Are Forever. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out that she too has her secret lair here in this bike shop. With red computers, which seems a bit on the nose. Yeah, right. They... They do have Sony monitors, though. Mm-hmm. We're back to Sony again. <laughs> and they try to figure out where this stealth boat is hi- hiding out. Yeah, and they... And it turns out it's they... hiding out where Scaramanga lives. Yeah, because they cut to that, and that looks just like the the islands where... It looks like Phuket. I bet I bet it is Phuket, actually. Probably. I, I can't imagine there are very many places on Earth that look like that. I doubt it. I, I like when... Before we get to that, I like when Bond is playing with the random gadgets. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is something that they never really did with Bond before, where he kind of makes a fool of himself at times. Mm-hmm. Like, especially, especially when he leans on that dragon and it shoots flames. Yes. It's, it's yeah. like, whoa, okay. So they manage to sneak on board the stealth boat, because the stealth boat, I guess, isn't isn't paying attention to anything around it. Nope. Classic, uh, classic overconfidence by the Bond villain. We're a stealth boat, so nobody can see us, so we don't have to pay attention. Yep. I want to know what the point is of this ladder that you then can monkey bar across the boat. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Just... Is that there for a reason other than to let Michelle Yeoh get to the other side? I mean, what other reason does it need? So now we're, we see that the, the boat is attacking the British and will be launching a bomb on the Chinese, but uh, they finally find out that Bond and... I do like that scene where Carver notices on the security camera, but the guy monitoring the camera doesn't. What the hell do I pay you for? If she's there, Bond is there. Stamper, find them. <laughs> right. That's no, I good. like that. Uh, so Stamper... Because he's, he's, oh. in the, he's like in mid-monologue and then kind of cuts off. Yes. Which I think is good. Yeah. So Stamper goes out to attack to attack them bond makes him think that he killed him when really he just threw one of the goons in the water yep i mean more stuff happens basically (laughs) yeah it's just like i mean i feel like we've seen so many of these at this point that it's like they all blend together even though i just watched this one well and and it's not it's not that interesting of an end to the movie i mean it's it's your typical and we're in an enemy base, and we're gonna fight our way out and blow the stuff up and get out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. I mean, this could be this could be like a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. This could absolutely really. You know, I yeah, I wouldn't mind a Jerry Bruckheimer Bond film. No, that would be interesting. All right, so ah, 
I think I mean, this time I do see Hugh Bonneville. I think he's the one that says that there's Chinese MIGs or something. I think I see him, but he's in the background, so he's like okay. at 138.25, the guy on the far left. Uh-huh. So this is after we see M and M and Julian Fellows. and Yes, and we cut back to the ship. Not the guy that, han- right after the Admiral was handed the thing. I don't think, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think that was Hugh Bonneville. Although it might have been. I still can't tell for sure, because he's in the background. But there's a guy in the lower left that has, like, a kind of... Appears to have, like, kind of curly hair and a chubby face. Well, that sounds like you, Bonneville. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, the problem... the, The problem with this ending and why it's just kind of there, it's like, I mean, it's... It's... Carver's just monologuing here and saying what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And to, to Michelle Yeoh, because she's been captured by Stamper, and Bond's doing his Bond stuff and putting a grenade in a glass jar. And and I feel like somebody gets captured and somebody gets, gets away, like, two or three times here. Yes. Because, again, this goes on way longer than it needs to. Yeah, and Bond holds Gupta hostage and Carver kills him. and Which I, I think is... It's slightly clever. Yeah. Where he's like, I don't need you anymore. All right, no, I see a closer shot of the guy I thought was Hugh Bonneville, and it is not Hugh Bonneville. <laughs> <laughs> so I still don't know who Hugh Bonneville is. Where, where, where in the movie is Hugh Bonneville? <laughs> but anyway, in this movie, Bond's grenade in the glass jar blows a hole in the side of the ship, which allows it to show up in a radar. So then the the British Navy gets to shoot at it. Oh, I found Hugh Bonneville. Oh, did you? What timestamp? Yeah. So I'm at 143.20. There's a guy who is clearly not Hugh Bonneville with his headset on talking, and the guy to his right is absolutely Hugh Bonneville. That guy is Hugh Bonneville. Oh, yeah. Because at, at 143.24, <laughs> he turns and looks directly at the camera. Yep. And it's okay. Hugh Bonneville. You're right. That is All Hugh right. Bonneville. It's mystery solved. Well, we can end the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> All of our speculation about Hugh Bonneville absolutely has to stay in. Not really. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm seriously considering naming the podcast wherein the movie is Hugh Bonneville. <laughs> you know, Carver has Bond at gunpoint. Bond hits, like, a button that says override that starts the drill for some reason. Well, there's also, it's the control, there's also a button that says Siege Drill Control. Sure. Or a section on the panel, but yes. Okay, so Bond holds Carver in front of the drill. He's like, give the, you've forgotten the big rule of media, give the people what they want. Then he lets go of Carver and dives out of the way. There's like a couple seconds where Carver stands there and screams about getting hit by the drill when he could have gotten out of the way. Yes, I agree. It's, it's not the best villain death scene we've seen. But is it the worst? No, because he doesn't inflate like a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we, we don't see him getting pushed into boiling water either. That was pretty... I, I, I'm okay with that one. <laughs> so, yeah. Bond, Bond kills Carver, and then Stamper comes after him, and he's like, I'm going to get you for Carver and Kaufman. And I Bond manages to get away because he unzips his jacket and falls free and mm-hmm. Stamper dies. But I think it would have been cool if when he was falling free, Bond would have said for Paris or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it could he could have used a, a little quip there. So uh, he well, also 
he also has chained up Michelle Yeoh and dropped her into the water. Right. And Bond then goes down and gives her mouth-to-mouth underwater, and I don't think that works. I don't think you can do no, that. No, I don't think that works either, because she would have water in her mouth. Yes, and you'd be forcing it down into her lungs. Yeah, no, that... I don't think this works. <laughs> but movie magic. Also, how do they know Bond made it? Because they're talking about that at... MI6 headquarters. It seems that Bond made it, but how do they know that? Yeah, they're calling their names. Oh, that's... Yeah, I, yeah. That's a good question. Because it's a Bond movie, so of course he did. <laughs> also, again, so I know, Bond would rather, you know, romance the, the girl than go home, but it's dumb that they don't announce <laughs> themselves to the ship. I'm willing to bet they could have, you know, made Bulalu on the ship. <laughs> And not been stuck floating in the middle of the water in the Vietnamese right. waters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, that's the only ship that might rescue you. Mm-hmm. And then the movie is dedicated to the memory of Cubby Broccoli because he died between... He he died yes. before this movie was made. Mm-hmm. And... Yep, Goldeneye, I think you know, that was the last one he had anything really to do with. And even that, he wasn't really involved. No, no, he wasn't. And yes, we get the much better song. I agree. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So, like I said, I usually forget this movie after watching it. I think that's probably still going to be true. Uh, mm-hmm. Eh? <laughs> yeah. It's it's not bad. It's it's just generic mm-hmm. to me. Um, it has a few good bits to it, but all in all, oh hey, I didn't realize that the guy that the the guy that was on the plane that was talking him through the uh, halo jump is the guy who is the drill sergeant from Aliens. Hmm. Okay. And I don't know how I wouldn't have noticed that before, because he's because as soon as I saw it, I'm like, of course that's him. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, this this is the one that just feels like it was very... By the numbers, we're going to not do anything very creative here. Um, the, the villain idea, I think, is interesting, but they don't do anything with it that's worth noting, really. It's certainly not as good as Goldeneye. No. Well, I think, well, that will be a recurring theme throughout the Brazen era. It's not as good as sure. Goldeneye. Sure. Yes. Right. Although, you know, I've, maybe I'll change my mind next week. I don't know. But, you know, I did say last week that given a choice, I probably would watch The World Is Not Enough instead of Goldeneye. I find it, to, in in my head, I find it to be more entertaining. I'll we'll see if I still feel that way yeah. next week. But, I like The World Is Not Enough. I, I, I think it is underrated. Yeah. All right. And I think that the reason it gets rated as low as it does is entirely because Denise Richards is in it. Yeah, she's not great. I don't think that's fair to her. I think she was put in a bad spot. Yeah. Because I think she was... She's the type of person who absolutely could be a Bond girl, even though that's kind of not really proper way of looking at it right now. No. But get making her a, a scientist was... Yeah. But we'll talk about that next week. And yeah, I don't have much else to say about this. Except that products and services for this film were supplied by Gateway 2000 computers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot that they used to be called Gateway 2000. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had one. I I had a Gateway 2000 computer in college. Nice. Uh, Came in the giant cow box. I remember the cow boxes, yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, I mean, because 
they stopped. They dropped the two thousand from their moniker moniker even before the year two thousand. I think for obvious reasons. Yeah, and the the brand is still around. It's not a separate company anymore. I don't think, but the brand is still around. But yes, Gateway two thousand definitely makes me think of a certain type of computer. <laughs> yeah, with those giant square monitors, actually. Mm-hmm. Except mine wasn't red. But anyway. <laughs> well, those monitors were Sony's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gateway is owned by Acer as of 2007. So I somehow feel like we've already talked about this on this podcast, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, it's not really an episode of the show unless we talk about defunct technology in some way or another. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at podspiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can find me on Twitter at listening to film. Do you have anything else to say about the movie before we <laughs> fall in another rabbit hole of 90s, no, I, 90s I, I computers? I think I'm good. I have nothing nothing productive to say about this movie. Okay. Well, then I guess I should say that License to Spiel will return next week with... The world is not enough. <laughs>